follow with me as I read from Genesis 50, starting at verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph, saying, Your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Thank you, Mary. You may be seated. The passage we just read is the very end of the story. It's a recap, you could say. It, is, uh, it looks back, and the best way to get at the heart of what we're going to talk about today is to ask a question. And the question is just very simply, it was very, in the middle of the text, did you catch it, where Joseph wept? Anybody? Yes? You were paying attention, right? Yes? Okay, very good. I, I saw like two people nod. Like, we didn't, didn't we just read scripture? Okay, all right. Um, he wept. And the question is, why did he weep? Why did he weep? Um, in verse 17, when their message came to him, he wept. And the short answer to the question, the very easy, the quickest answer, and the commentators all agree on this, is the reason he wept is because it was a lie. It was a lie. It was a fabrication. It was a story. Jacob is dead. The brothers are scared to death that Jacob will take revenge. What if he wants revenge? He's certainly in a powerful enough spot to take revenge if he wants to take revenge. And so they concoct this letter. They're worried about all the wrong things they had done. That's verse 16. And so they concoct this message from their dead father beyond the grave. And they go to, to, to Joseph. And the fake message is this, dad said to be nice to us. Dad said, you've got to forgive us. And it was a lie. The truth is that the chances that Jacob said this or implied this are very, very small. He probably didn't at all. And the clue is the word so. And it means because. Because they were afraid, they made up this story and went to Joseph. But that's the easy answer, right? And we can't just stop there. There's more going on underneath the surface. There's more than just words that are put into a dead father's mouth. Why did he weep? And it's because Joseph has been trying to do something in his brothers. And that's what we'll explore today. Um, Ice is forming back over their hearts. It was their hearts that he had made their mission. He wanted to win back their hearts. And to understand that, we have to go back and uncover this little phrase in verse 15. It says, they were afraid of all these things. They were afraid of all of these wrongs that were done. What were all these things? They were all of the things that they had done to Joseph way back when. 
And we have to recap this story. I'll be as brief as I can, but we have to go back through the Joseph story. I think I'm a little hot. Can you back me off a little? That'd be great. Um, in, in chapter 37, we're, we, we're introduced to Joseph. He's 17 years old, and we are told that Jacob, his father, loved Joseph the most. Jacob doted on Joseph. He was clearly the favorite. And not only that, but he made sure everybody knew it. And there was this coat, you know, of the coat, the coat of many colors. Um, That was the tipping point for everybody. He telegraphed to everybody in every way imaginable that Joseph was the priority. And what it did to the family was it completely poisoned them. Uh, Verse 37, 4 says, when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him. Him. As a matter of fact, the text in, the, uh, in a span of about eight verses says they hated him three times. Their hate was strong. Not only did it poison the family, but it also poisoned Joseph, this favoritism. Joseph himself will have dreams. You know about his dreams, right? Now let me refresh you. There are some, he has a dream where there's some uh, stalks of grain, and his is in the middle, and all the others are bowing down to him, and all the others are his brothers. He has another dream where the sun and the moon and the 11 stars are bowing down to his star, and it's clearly a message that one day his brothers will bow down to him. Now, if you're a discerning individual, you kind of you have a dream like that, and you kind of keep it in mind, but the one thing that you don't do is you don't go to your older brothers and tell them that one day they're going to be your servants. That's not what you do, but that's what Joseph did because he's not discerning. He is an arrogant, spoiled brat, and he lords it over them, he pushes his brother's noses into it. He, he goads them. He was aggravating them. And so the whole family is just poisoned with this relationship. And then there's an interesting event that happens. The sons were sent to take the sheep to graze. And Jacob sent his sons to graze the sheep in a place called Shechem. Shechem wasn't very far away from where they lived. It was a very populated area. And so Jacob sent his son Joseph to go check on the brothers and bring a report back. Now, this was not uncommon. This is what Jacob did a lot. And as a matter of fact, this is another reason that the brothers hated Joseph so much, because he would fabricate reports about them. That's the indication that we get from the text. He would make things up to make them look bad. And they hated him for it. And so Jacob sends Joseph again. And it just so happens that there are all these events that just work out in the right way so that the brothers find themselves in a certain situation that they have never found themselves in before. They decide to graze their sheep in some other place, a place called Dothan. It's not very far from, or it's, it's, it's very far from where they live. It's not close. And it's also a very rural, unpopulated area. And so they're very far away from home. They're around, they're in the middle of nowhere. And here comes Joseph. And this, these murderous thoughts that they've always had in their heads, they finally realize now's our chance. We could kill him if we wanted to. We're out in the middle of nowhere. Nobody's going to know where he is because he went to the first place. And by chance, there was a man there that directed him to to the place in Dothan. His father has no idea where they're grazing sheep. We can kill him and nobody will be the wiser. And so that's what they do. They say, let's kill him. They stripped him of his robe. They threw him in an empty water cistern and they decided they were going to leave him 
to die there. And after they threw him in there, they said, you're going to die in there. And here's how callous they were. Can you imagine this? As Joseph is in the bottom of the pit, crying out to God and to his brothers to save him, what do they do? They eat. They eat. They have dinner. And they ignore the brothers' cry. Can you see how divided, how fractured this relationship is? And while they're eating, it just so happens that there are some Ishmaelites that come by. There's a caravan. And Judah stands up. And he's kind of the ringleader at this point. And he says, he has the hardest heart of all. And he says, you know, why should we just kill this kid and get nothing for him? At least if we sell him into slavery, we'll get some money out of it. Let's do that. And so that's what they do. They sell Joseph into slavery for 20 pieces of silver. That was the going rate for a slave at that time. And then they took the coat and they smeared it with goat's blood and they send it back to their father. And when the coat is shown to their father, it is the epitome of ice coldness. They, they present the coat to the father and they don't say, hey, is this Joseph's coat? They don't say, is this our brother's coat? They don't say that. They say, is this your son's coat? Their hearts were hard, so hard that they could watch their father tear his hair literally off his scalp and fall to the ground and feel no brotherly love, no solidarity with Joseph. He's not our brother. He's your son. And after that, there are two stories that begin to happen. One is the story of Joseph in Egypt and all of his trials and tribulations, all the things that he goes through. And the other story is Jacob and his sons back in Palestine. And the story of Joseph, he's sold as a teenager. He's a foreign slave in Egypt, and he rises to a place of tremendous honor. And I don't have time to go through that story, but I'm sure you're familiar with it. It's a story of sexual integrity. It's a story of business integrity. It's a story of being a wise businessman in a very pagan situation. But the important key through all of his uh, events is that because of his wisdom, because of his insight, because of this incredible administrative ability that he has, Joseph eventually becomes the prime minister of Egypt, basically. The Pharaoh raised him up and gave him the prime minister's job. He, because of his wisdom, because of his insight, he got a royal ring. That means he has authority. Uh, Pharaoh also gave him a beautiful robe. That's interesting. He was stripped of one. Now he gets one. He was given a bride. In other words, Joseph had the authority of the king, the beauty of the king. He was in the family of the king, and he ruled Egypt. And he saved Egypt and the entire area from absolute disaster. There was a famine specifically that because of his wisdom, because of his insight, Joseph was absolutely prepared for. He had Egypt completely filled with grain to the brim. The storehouses were full and people's lives were being saved left and right, even in the middle of a famine. And that's where we have to go back to the other story. Jacob and his other, other, uh, Joseph's other brothers are back in Palestine and the famine has reached them. And Jacob is sitting around one day and he says to his sons, why are you just sitting around? There's food in Egypt. Go down to Egypt and get some food. And so Jacob sends his sons to Egypt and they stand before Joseph. One interesting thing that we learn is that he does not send Benjamin. Now that's interesting. 
Because before, Joseph was the favorite, right? But now Joseph is dead. And now Jacob makes sure not to send Benjamin. What has happened? Jacob has a new favorite. The new favorite is Benjamin. And I'm going to protect him with my very life. You guys go to Egypt. Benjamin is staying here. And it's because Benjamin was Joseph's only other full brother. They both had the same mother, Rachel. Rachel was the wife that Jacob loved the best. So it's, it's understandable that Jacob would love Benjamin the most. And so the brothers go to Egypt, and they find themselves through a certain series of events in front of Joseph, begging for help. They don't recognize Joseph. It's been 20 years, and he's in Egyptian garb and all that. He doesn't really look like a Hebrew. But Joseph recognizes them. He knows who they are. And guess what happens? For the first time, and for many more, this is where Joseph starts to weep. He weeps. He sees his brothers. They don't know who he is. He knows who they, they, they are. And he, he weeps. He, he has to run out of the room, and he has to weep, and he collects himself, and he washes his face, and then he comes back out, and he stands in front of his brothers, and this is where Joseph's project begins. Joseph takes on a monumental task, and in order for this project to work out, he puts the brothers through literally two years of hell. The first thing he does is that he accuses them. You're spies. You didn't come here for food. You are spies sent to spy out the land, and you're going to go back, and you're going to get your soldiers rallied together, and then you're going to come back, and you're going to raid our storehouses. You're spies. And they say, no, no, that's not the case at all. We're, we're really our brothers. We're not spies. We're related. We all have the same father. We re- and there's a, they, they give him all kinds of information that he doesn't have. There's another son, and the youngest, and he's at home with our father, and, and they tell him all about their family situation. And Joseph says, it's a lie, and he throws them in prison. Imagine what is going through their minds that night in prison. What are they thinking? Who knows? The next morning, Joseph comes in, and he plays a different part. He says, I'm a fair man. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a chance to prove yourselves. You can have the food. You can have the grain so you won't starve. I'll send you back. You can go back home. But here's the catch. One of you is going to be my hostage. I'm going to keep one of you. I'm going to put you in prison. And that will guarantee that I can check out your story. And here's what you're going to do. Don't come back to me unless you bring that youngest son, that youngest brother of yours that you've been talking about. Don't come back unless you bring him. And that will tell me that your story is true. And of course, if they don't come back, they're going to starve. There's no, there's no food back in Palestine. And so they go back. They talk to their father, Jacob. Jacob says, never, never. I will never let my youngest son, Benjamin, go. Joseph is no more. Now Simeon is in a prison in Egypt, and I'm not going to let Benjamin go. And so somehow they survive for two years. For two years, Jacob will not let Benjamin go. And finally, they come to their father and say, we are going to die if we don't do something. We have to go back to Egypt. And Jacob finally relents. He finally, through tremendous fear and anger, lets Benjamin go. He has no choice, and they go back to Egypt. And Joseph, once again, sees them. They're in front of him. They don't know who he is. He knows who they are. And what happens 
again. He weeps. You're catching on. Yes, he weeps. He goes off and he collects himself and he washes his face and he comes back and he puts on uh, a better face and he says, good. At least you're, you're telling the truth. I'll let Simeon out of prison. Tomorrow, I will throw a feast for you. And the next day, he feasts them, this huge feast at the royal table. And afterward, they get their grain, and they're on their way home. And suddenly, as they're on their way home, they're they're thinking everything is fine. A messenger comes riding up, and he says, You ingrates, someone stole our master's silver cup from the feast that you were at. You were the only ones that could have done it. There's a cup in one of your sacks. How dare you? They say, no, there's no way that that's possible. None, absolutely none. And as a matter of fact, if it is, if there's a cup in one of our sacks, then the person whose sack it is in, you can kill him and the rest of us will be your slaves forever. Well, they go through the sacks. And you know the story, right? They get to Benjamin's sack and there's a cup. There's a cup. And so... The brothers tear their clothes, and they find themselves back in front of Joseph. And Joseph says, no, I'm not going to do what you ask. I'm not going to kill the person whose whose sack had the cup and make you, the rest of you, my slaves. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make that one my slave, and the rest of you can go free. That's what I'm going to do. And at that point, it's Judah. Remember Judah. Judah stands up, the one with the coldest heart, the one who 20 years before has made the bargain with the slave traders. And Judah says something remarkable. And something has happened at this point that makes Judah make a certain speech. And there's a commentator that puts it incredibly well. It's a great insight. He says this, like the judgment of Solomon, The threat, the sudden threat to Benjamin was a thrust to the heart. And in a moment, the brothers stood revealed. All the conditions were present for another betrayal, but this time at a far more compelling price. It wasn't silver this time. It was their very freedom. It was their very liberty. And do you see this incredible thing that has happened that Joseph has arranged? Joseph has created something of a test because one more time, their father has a favorite whom he loves more than any of the rest. And one more time, if they sell the boy into slavery, they get something. They're in the same, the exact same position they were in 20 years ago when they sold him. But there's been something, the only change is that there's been something going on the last two years. Joseph's project has been going on. And Joseph has created the exact same choice with Benjamin that they had with him so many years earlier. And all they have to do is give Benjamin up, sell him out, and they go free. Here's the question, what will they do? Are they the same people that they were 20 years ago? Has Joseph's project worked Judah stands up, the one with the hardest heart before, and this is what he says. He says, sir, if the boy is not with us, when we go back, our father whose life is bound up with the boy's life, when he sees the boy is not there, he will die. Please let me remain here as my Lord's slave in the place of the boy and let the boy return. Do not let me see the misery that would come upon my father. And at that point, it's at that point 
This is very interesting. Joseph looks around at all the others in the room besides his brothers. He looks at everybody else in the court and he says, everybody leave. Everybody get out. I just want to be alone with these brothers. And as they're leaving, guess what happens? He weeps. He weeps. This time he doesn't hide it. This time he weeps openly, so loud that everybody outside the doors can hear it. And the brothers probably expect, can you imagine what they expect? They expect to hear condemnation. They expect to to get what they deserve for the evil that they've done. They expect Joseph to come and say, now you're condemned. Now I'm going to get you. But instead, in this moment, after Judah's speech, here's what he says. It's me, Joseph. How's dad doing? Now, here's what happened. The commentator that I quoted before says something extremely important about Joseph's whole process that he used to deal with his brothers. Here's what he says. At first sight, Joseph's rough handling of his brothers has the look of vengefulness. And that is natural to think that, but nothing could be farther from the truth. Behind the harsh pose was a deep, almost uncontrollable affection. As you can see in Joseph's continual weeping, running out to cry in his room in every chapter, you see a vindictive Joseph would have sent home worthless sackloads of grain or taunted them at his feast the way they had taunted him at theirs 20 years earlier. But that didn't happen. And after the ordeal is over, there is overwhelming kindness because his gifts were a kinder and more searching test. And just how well judged was his policy can be seen in the growth of quite new attitudes in his brothers. As, and this is what I want you to latch on to today. As the alternating sun and frost broke them open to God, they changed. And in the end, Judah stands up. And he doesn't say what he originally said, which was, the kid's life so I can profit. This time, he says, my life so the kid can go free. And that's a complete 180. Judah changed his character. He was totally turned around. And it was only at that point that Joseph was able to say, it's me. It's Joseph. Now, there's the story. And it is a story worth telling over and over again because we learned some great things about how God works in our lives That's why I told it first. Here's what we learned. God is a God of truth and love. God is a God of truth and love. What Joseph shows us here is actually the way that God treats us all. I want you to think for a minute. When Joseph saw his brothers again, what were his options? Well, on one hand, if he was a person of truth, he would have said this. Now you're going to get it. I'm going to pay you back for all of those wrongs that you did to me. On the other hand, if he's the opposite end of the spectrum, if he's just a person of love, then he would have just said, he would have revealed himself right away. Hey, it's me, Joseph. Ah, that stuff back then. Don't worry about that. That's all, that's all well and good. Good to see you again. Okay, see you. But he does neither. He does neither. And he operates out of truth and Love. It would have been so much easier to operate from one extreme or the other. But Joseph chooses the hard road that is full of weeping, full of tears. And he is both love 
and truth. This picture of the commentators is so fascinating. And it's what I want you to go away with today. It was Joseph's method of alternating sun and frost that broke his brother's hearts open to God. You've seen, of course, what alternating sun and frost can do, right? This is your project for this afternoon. I want you to go and find any sidewalk in Fort Scott. Doesn't matter. Anyone. Okay? And I guarantee because of alternating sun and frost, what happens? The sun beats down and the cement expands and then the the frost comes and the snow and it contracts and then that process happens over and over, year after year. And what develops in the cement? A crack. It breaks. It crumbles. Repeated, expanding, contraction breaks things. And that's the method behind Joseph's project. It's a little harshness here, a little kindness here, then some brutality here, and then some affection. There's pain, but it's interspersed with peace. And in the end, his brothers change. Judah's change represented all of them. Now, you can see this process in regular families, right? If you have wise uh, parents, here's what happens. A kid lies or steals, and there are a couple of options that a parent has at that point. They can be a person of truth only, in which case the temptation is just to take revenge. You embarrassed me. You did a wrong thing, and so I'm going to smack you. Right? Parents, been there? Okay. Or you can be a parent of love. And you can say, oh, that doesn't matter that you shot your teacher. Just do better next time. It's all right. Okay? And in neither case will there ever be change. It doesn't work that way. Wise parents utilize both truth and love. Kids are molded and changed. And here's here's what I need to tell you. God is a wise parent. Secondly, Because God is a wise parent, he's a wise father, we have a God who deals with us in very difficult ways. He sends tough times into our lives, not because he doesn't forgive, but because he does. Joseph is pointing us to God. Joseph is tough on his brothers, not because he hasn't forgiven them, but because he did forgive them. The very first moment he saw them and he recognized them, he forgave them. You get that. Then his project started. God works precisely the same way. It's because he graciously accepts us that he deals with us so harshly, not the other way around. And I know that a lot of you, uh, myself included, when difficulties come into our lives, we have a tendency to shake our fist and say, well, if God really loves me, if he really has forgiven me, then why would this happen in my life? Why would he allow all these things to happen? Here's the simple answer, because God is a wise parent. And he deals in truth and love. And because of the kind of relationship God has with us, it's not performance-based, but it's commitment-based. He has a commitment to us. It's the same commitment that a a mother and father have with a child. And it's what causes them to act at seemingly opposite ends of the spectrum. They seem to do things that are harsh, but they're aimed at steering a child back into right living. And at the same time, they offer affection and comfort and encouragement because the child will forever be a part of the family. And because of that, they are given what they need, alternating sun and frost. Now, 
as Christians. It's because we believe God saves us by grace that we also believe that sometimes God can put us through two years or more of frost and sun. And why does he do that? He does it to break us open. The reason that Joseph puts his brothers through all of this is not in order to forgive them. He, he already has done that. But because he has, if he hadn't forgiven them, he would never have put himself through all of this pain and tears and weeping. Never. Here's the question again. Why did Joseph weep? And the answer is, you need to understand what God is trying to do in Joseph, what he's trying to do in Judah, what he's trying to do in you, in me, and everyone. He's after something. There is a goal, and we see it in Joseph's treatment of his brothers. Joseph is not just trying to get them to say, I'm sorry. That isn't the goal. Joseph is get, trying to get them to become like him. Here's a question. He's doing, uh, I'm sorry, this is noteworthy. He's doing to Judah what God had done to him. Here's the question. How does Joseph get to be so powerful? How does he get to be the prime minister of Egypt? How does he get to be so wise, so influential? It's because he submitted to God as a parent. He was given years and years of sun and frost. And without the sun and the frost in his journey, he never holds the position that he has. And if he can't hold the position that he has, he never saves his family. He never saves people. Do you see what's going on? Joseph's goal is to make them into what God has made him, a deliverer, a savior. And when Judas stands up, it's groundbreaking because he becomes that deliverer. He becomes that savior. He doesn't say the way of the world, which is your life for mine. What he says is the way of the cross, which is my life for yours. Take, the, take me, let the boy go. Now think for a minute. Who is Judah? Do you know? If you read the genealogies, Judah is the father of the ultimate deliverer, Jesus. And when he stands up, and he's, he becomes the deliverer and the savior for Benjamin. Judah is walking in the shoes of his greater son. Do you want the secret to life? Some of you will think that I'm uh, being overly dramatic, okay, and sensationalizing this, but this is absolutely the truth. Do you want to know the secret to life? Here it is. It's in this story. This is not an understatement. Be a deliverer. Be a savior. That's the pattern that we see throughout the Bible. Jesus said it this way. The greatest will be the servant of all. Joseph says something we have to pay special attention to in this text. At the very end, in referring to all of these things that the brothers have done, all of the wrong things, he says this. You intended it for harm, but God intended it for good. It's the Old Testament version of Romans 8.28 that was up on the screen earlier. You intended it for harm, but God intended it for good. And here's the key of the scripture. For the saving of many lives. He intended it for good, 
Why? Just so Joseph could be powerful and have a lot of money? No, for the saving of many lives. God made Joseph into a deliverer through years of frost and sun and frost and sun. And that's what he wants to do to Judah. And that's what he did to you. That's what he does to me. And that's what he did to one other. There was one other who in the deeps of heaven many, many years ago saw his father's weeping over people who were lost. And he said, Father, I will be sold into slavery. I will give up my freedom so that they can be free. I will be stripped of my robe. I will be falsely accused. I will be thrown in prison and numbered with the transgressors. I will be thrown into the pit of hell itself. And the father said to Jesus, go. And Jesus endured the ultimate frost and sun being broken open to God so that he could be the ultimate savior that we all need so that we could be saved. So here's your challenge. Pretty easy. Find a sidewalk this week, today, with a crack. And when you see it, here's what I want you to think. I need to submit to God, who is a wise parent. And just like the sun and frost has broken open this sidewalk, God needs to do something in me and break me open to him to make me into the likeness of his son. We could say it this way. He wants you to be a mini-deliverer, a mini-savior. Jesus, the true Joseph, the greater son of Judah, deals with us in the way he deals with us, not because he hasn't forgiven us, but because he has. And he wants to recreate the life of God in us and make us people that save others. And he will not let you go any more than Joseph would let Judah go until you begin to act like a mini-redeemer, like a deliverer. And just like the brothers... Just like Joseph's brothers, it's only then that you will truly be free. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this story that is so full of truth, way more than we could uncover today. But I thank you so much for the things that you are trying to do in our lives that you are trying to make us into your son. And we know that we can never be good enough to save people and make them righteous and blameless in front of you. That's what Jesus has done. But we absolutely can do things to save people every day. Very little things. Things that you put on our hearts to make us into deliverers and saviors. Would you help us to do that today and each day in the days to come? And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.